0: We present Nigel Anthony in The Hornblower Story, adapted from four of the C.S. Forester novels by Val Gilgood. Part two from Mr. Midshipman Hornblower, The Cargo of Rice.
1: You will hear some people talk as if all life in the Navy afloat is much the same thing. You can take it from me that they don't know what they're talking about. Service in a ship of the line, like the Justinian, in which I started my career as midshipman, and service in a frigate, like the indefatigable, Captain Sir Edward Pellew, was as different as chalk from cheese. In a ship of the line, no midshipman could hope to be more than an unconsidered trifle. In a frigate, there was usually the chance of taking prizes, and a prize... Might mean an independent command, if one only had the luck. An independent command. I thought of it all day and dreamt of it all night. Indefatigable was pounding through Bisky in a heavy sea and under a strong breeze. The waters of the bay were dotted with white sails the sails of the stragglers from a French convoy, trying to make their home ports, while out in the Atlantic their escorting fleet was at grips with our own. Ship after ship was overhauled, a shot or two, their newfangled tricolor flag came down, and a prize crew was sent on board. Captain Pellew was not a man who wasted time, as I soon discovered. An experienced captain and a young midshipman can go well together. The brig we were chasing was slow to surrender. On that heaving sea, it was hard to bring our nine-pounders accurately to bear. I was beside Sir Edward on the quarter-deck.
2: Not into our hull, dammit! I want her crippled, not sunk! That's better. Got the slings of a four-topsail yard. Now she must come up into the wind. My speaking trumpet, Mr Hornblower, if you please. Aye, aye,
3: sir.
4: What brings that? What does the fellow say? Mary Gallant to Bordeaux. 24 days out from New Orleans with rice.
2: Oh, rice to revolutionary France, eh? That'll sell for a pretty penny when we get her home. 200 tons, I'd say. Crew, 12 at most. She'll need a prize crew of four, a midshipman's command. See what you can do, Mr. Hornblower. Me, sir? Take four men of the cutter's crew and board that brig. Mr. Soames will give you our position. Take her into any English port you can make and report there for orders. Aye, aye, sir.
1: It was no joke jumping from the mizzen chains into the cutter with that sea running, but it was no time to hesitate under Sir Edward's eye. I had my dirk and a pistol, and the master gave me a paper with our latitude and longitude hastily scrawled. By nature, I was always ungainly and awkward, but better make an exhibition of myself than delay indefatigable any longer. I jumped and cannoned clumsily into the lieutenant in the stern sheets. What the deuce do you want, hornblower? Sorry, sir. Orders.
4: Would you take me to the brig, sir? You taking charge of her? Yes, sir. If the captain requests, I should take four of your men. Uh, they better be topmen. That topsail yard of theirs is all adrift. Shall I pick them for you? I'd be obliged, sir. Jones, Aye, sir. Baker, Aye, sir. Grant and uh, Matthews. Aye. Keep them away from drink and they'll be all right. And watch the French crew, or they'll retake the ship
2: and land you in a French jail. Aye, aye, sir. Lay to there, Matthews, lay to.
1: The first thing that struck my eyes as I boarded the French brig was the profusion of bottles. There was a pile of them around the hatch cover. Others were rolling about the scuppers. Matthews, evidently the accepted leader of the men from the cutter, regarded bottles and Frenchmen alike with a contempt, he did not try to conceal.
4: By the holy, they made the best of their time, sir. Wish we were as happy. That'll do, Matthews. Jones! Grant! Brace the after yards to larboard. Aye, aye, sir. I'll take the wheel myself. You're rated petty officer, Matthews. Get to work at once and clear away that raffle forward. Aye, aye, sir. Get that jib in before it floods itself to pieces. Oh, we'll need more hands than we have, sir. Uh, can I put some of the Frenchies to work? If you think you can, and they're sober enough. I'll work them all right. Drunk or sober, sir. Very good. Carry on. We'll square away. Uh, what's your call, sir? For England. Nor east by north. Oh, Matthews. Uh, sir? One of those shots we fired. Looked as if it held her. What's the damage? Don't rightly know, sir we must take a closer look as soon as we can better sound the well now aye aye sir I'll need a sounding line and a light I'll, I'll get him, sir all right that I can see sir not a drop dry as yesterday's panicking you're certain sure as I'm alive sir very good Matthews coil that rope again aye aye sir You'll pardon me, Mr Hornblower, but we can't keep that course as you set much longer, with the wind coming up gusty like. Thank you, Matthews. Summon all hands and worship ship. They couldn't weather ushant on this tack with things as they are.
1: I was to get no sleep that night. Short-handed, I did not dare to continue in the hope that the wind might back. I remembered my reading and in instructions warning me of the terrors of a lee shore. The thought of taking help from my French prisoners stuck in my gullet, but I could see no help for it. I sent below for their captain. I did not care for the look of him when he appeared unshaven, bleary eyed. Votre nom, monsieur.
3: I speak English. Five years I spent in one of your Portsmouth Alps during the last war. My name is Jules Leblanc, Lieutenant. I'm Horatio Hornblower, midshipman. Hmm. Monsieur Hornblower, my men are hungry. No doubt. Mine are. I am. I have a cook aboard. Fortunate. Then we can come to terms. Terms?
4: Simple enough. Your cook will provide food for everyone on board the Galant. You undertake that you and your men will make no attempt to recapture the ship.
3: we just set sail for England, monsieur. That fact has not entirely escaped me. And we ride... A little heavily, is it not so? Maybe. A leak, perhaps. Her well has been sounded, not a drop of water in her. One shot from your figure, struck our You know that we carry a cargo of rice, monsieur? I do. You also, should there be a leak, every drop of water taken in by the ship would be absorbed by the rice. Sounding of the well would tell you nothing. Where do you think the shot hit her? On the port side for her. You were close-hauled and
4: heeling over when we hit you. If there is a leak, it must be below the waterline. I'll go and see.
3: You do not send one of your men?
4: I prefer to see for myself. Our terms. They are agreed, Monsieur LeBlanc.
3: You have my hand on it. Good enough. Matthews! Uh.
4: Get a line rigged. I'm going over the side. You'll take charge, Mr. Matthews. Aye, aye, sir. If I find there's a hole, we must bother a sail and get it over somehow to plug the leak. Monsieur Leblanc here has promised that his cook will feed us. Better take advantage of his offer.
1: The wave closed over my head like a momentary death. And there it was. Two feet below the waterline. A splintered, jagged hole. Square rather than round. And at least a foot across. At that moment, I fancied I could hear the sea bubbling into the ship.
4: So you were right, sir. The Frenchman was right, Matthews. That leak must be plugged, and we've little time to spare. I doubt if we have time at all, sir. What do you mean? Look there, sir. That deck seam and the pitch bulging out of it. Mon Dieu! The cargo, it increases itself. What the devil do you mean? It's the rice, sir. The water's got into it and it's swelling. It'll burst the ship's seams open, sir. Then the sooner we get a sail over the leak, the better, Matthews. If it's possible, sir. Of course it's possible.
3: I said she was riding heavily, monsieur. Now you can see. She's already much lower in the water.
4: You keep an eye on your own people, Monsieur LeBlanc. We cannot afford any panic. Hurry with
3: that sail, Matthews! Aye, aye, sir. And have a laid on the starboard tack. But on this present tack, we can easily make Bordeaux. Julia will not risk all our lives. That be damned for a tale.
4: Uh, beg your pardon, sir. D- don't like the feel of her. She's settling down. We'll see about that. I'll jettison the cargo. Get all the Frenchmen forward. Tail onto those tackles and sway up the hatch. Oh, don't This this is madness! Of course, we'll do our best, sir. But it seems to me she's set him fast. I don't have to tell you twice to obey orders, Matthews. Are we going to be beaten by some rats and a few tons of rice? And you, Monsieur LeBlanc, if your men don't want to drown, let me see them start working.
1: Matthews drove the French seaman to work with a rope's end. He and my other three strained and heaved like heroes. But... After at least fifty tons of cargo had been hoisted out and flung overside, the brig was a full six inches lower in the water. Now she was leaking like a basket, the water pouring in through the gaping seams, only to be sucked up immediately by the thirsty rice. There was only one thing to do.
4: Matthews, prepare to abandon ship. Aye, aye, sir you. Best find yourself some warm clothes, Mr. Allblower, sir. I've been once in an open boat for ten days. Thank you. Think of yourself. And Matthews, see what you can find. Navigating instruments, charts, a compass. Uh, aye, aye, sir. Monsieur Leblanc. What can I do? We shall be seventeen in all. Heavy manning for your wretched little boat. See that your men lay hands on all the food and water they can manage.
3: At your service, Monsieur. Yeah? yeah.
4: You'll take the tiller, Matthews. You'll handle an overloaded boat better than I can. I shall leave the ship last, of course. Uh, Too bad we couldn't save her, sir. Just so. Now, get along. Aye, aye, sir.
1: The brig was now so waterlogged that it was almost easy to step down from her deck into the boat. I looked back as we pulled away. The Marie Galante had acquired a sudden list. Then she righted herself. Her deck nearly level with the sea and sank almost on an even keel her masts slowly disappearing for an instant her sails gleamed under the green water
3: she's gone mr hornblower
4: yes she's gone and i'm thinking yes sir my first independent command it's the luck sir you're right matthews it's the luck what's the use of thinking about it she's gone at any rate we're still alive That's about it, sir. We're alive. (laughs) There's usually a funny side to things. Funny, Miss Dornbler? Begging pardon, but what's so funny about this lot? I'm going to be sick. Shift out of my way, Matthews, will you?
1: It was a bad time in that open boat. As bad a time as I can remember in all my years at sea. The Frenchman huddled in the bows, Monsieur Leblanc amidships by himself, my four men with me in the stern. Two nights without sleep. Wet, cold, and that damned seasickness of mine. Not to speak of the thoughts which nagged me of how I'd lost my first command. At seventeen, you let these things get under your skin. A biscuit of hard bread and half a pannikin of water didn't offer much in the shape of consolation.
4: Mast steps sir. Luxow bent and ready to hoist. Wind's backing westerly, little Matthews. We'll make sail. You'll keep the tiller. Baker, take the sheet. Close hold on the port tack.
3: Uh, Close hold it'll be, sir. Where do we go, monsieur? North. But the wind is fair for Bordeaux. By tomorrow we could be there. Why should we go north? Because we're bound for England. England? It'll be a week, a whole week, even if the wind stays fair in this so crowded boat. It is madness. Should there be a storm... Then we
4: shall drown together. Let me tell you once again, Monsieur LeBlanc, that I do not intend to rot for years in a French prison. But I insist that you head for Bordeaux. It would be hard to miss you at about five feet. There is a second pistol in my belt over my left hip. Take it, Matthews. Got it, sir. Uh, begging your pardon, but hadn't you better cock yours.
3: You will please point that pistol another way.
4: I only want to make it quite plain that if you or any of your men makes a threatening move, my petty officer or I will shoot.
3: Oh, yeah. Monsieur oh, yeah. I beg you to listen to me. As I told you, I was in prison in England during the last war. It is not an experience I wish to repeat. Let us come to an agreement and sail to France. We will land anywhere you choose. Then you can continue your journey freely. Or I will use all my influence to have you and your men sent back to England without stipulation for exchange or ransom. This I swear. No. Is it not a fair offer? Your government would never
4: part with trained seamen like mine on representation from you. They're too valuable. I I assure you. It is also my duty to see that your trained seamen do not return to France.
3: That is your final word yes shall i clout his jaw and shut him up that'll
4: not be necessary i think mr matthews at least put your pistol away it is dangerous you give me your word that you will do nothing to interfere with my command of this boat i swear it and your men
3: i undertake for them
4: very well
0: It
1: was after breakfast the next morning that we sighted the sail. Naturally, we rejoiced, until Matthews suggested she might be French. She was flush decked, with a look of speed about her and a line of gun ports. And as Matthews pointed out, she hadn't all possible sail set, as a ship travelling on peaceful business would normally have had in such a breeze. Matthews was right. She was a French privateer. She came tearing down on us. Past it at half a cable's length, hove to, and cut off our escape. We could only curse and submit. When we stepped onto her deck, I was greeted by a young man in a plum colored coat with a lace stock. I am
5: Captain Nouville of the Privateer Peak. May I inquire? Midshipman Hornblower of His Britannic Majesty's Navy. <laughs> Do not distress yourself. The fortunes of war. <laughs> Until we make party, you will be accommodated in the peak, with all comfort possible. Uh, but uh, those uh, pistols in your belt, they must surely discommode you. L- let me relieve you of the weight. Here. Ah, and that dirk you wear? Impetuous youth often leads to some rashness. That would be a pity. Take it. <laughs> a thousand thanks. Matter show you to the bird that is prepared for you below?
4: I should appreciate the company of my petty officer. As you wish.
5: If you will follow me. Our market in uh, San Domingo has been closed by recent events. I converted the peak into a privateer so that I might steal all my dividends. Also, under our Nobel Committee of Public Safety... I found Paris, an unhealthy spot for a a gentleman. (laughs) So I choose to command myself. I expect you know your own business. Uh, I think so. (laughs) Here are your cuts. Should the ship go into action, the hatches above will be battened down. Otherwise, you are free to move about as you will. I would only add that any attempt by prisoners to interfere with the working or welfare of the pig might be deeply resented by her crew. Uh, They serve with me on shares, you understand. Anyone seeking to endanger their freedom or their dividends might easily find himself uh, overboard. You are very frank, sir. It is where we understand one another. Now, (laughs) is there anything further I can provide for your comfort? Apart from the society of your excellent petty officer. (laughs) Pray, let's step inside. Thank you. Something to read? If yes, you can refresh. I can. <laughs> I have some professional books. I recommend to you Lebrun's Handbook on Seamanship.
4: That will do very well, monsieur.
5: I may rely on your care for the welfare of my three other men. Yes, oh, must Matthieu guess takes a turn of pumping out the ship. I protest, sir. That sort of menial uh, work. We will
4: not discuss it, if you please. Damned mincing fellow. I'll get my hands on him by and by, sir. You will keep your hands to yourself, Matthews, unless I tell you to the contrary. Uh, aye, aye, sir. Uh, begging your pardon, Mr Hornblower, but being in here with you like this, sir. I like company, don't you? But you an officer, sir. It is perfectly fitting, Matthews, and it is my responsibility. Very good, sir. Uh,
2: this is the uh, soft of the two
4: cots, sir. And I'll take the other. Oh, damn it, Matthews. If only I'd had the sense to get that shothole in the marigold plugged a bit earlier, we shouldn't be in this pickle. Hardly your fault, Mr. Ormblayer. Incompetence is always a fault, and it looks as if I shall pay for it by celebrating my 18th birthday in a French prison.
1: It was a damnable situation, with little to do but brood on my failure which had brought me to this fix. For days we cruised in the channel approaches and saw nothing but a tossing waste of water. Then one morning, Matthews and I were both on deck. There came a hail from the masthead of a ship visible to windward. She altered course towards us, and the peak stood towards her, all sail set for pursuit or flight. I wonder, Matthews. By God, sir, it's the old indefatigable, no less.
4: We are on the edge of her cruising ground. Oh, the same. It's long odds against. I'm not mistaken, sir. I'd swear to it. You may be right, Matthews. There. She's Lucina her royals. We'll be back aboard in time for Grog.
5: She must first catch us. Did I hear your petty officer have, monsieur Rambler? That is your headship? She may be. In her case, you can tell me what is her best point of sailing? I think not. Such nobility of attitude is out of place. I could... Induce you to give me the information? (laughs) But fortunately for you, it is not necessary. There is not one of his Britannic Majesty's clumsy frigates that cannot sail the peak running before the wind. However, in the circumstances, I fancy you and your companion would be more comfortable below. I prefer fresh air. Yet. You will obey my orders. Below, monsieur. You will please go below.
4: Matthews! Aye, aye, sir. That door in the after bulkhead. Did you see it when it was unlocked? No. Oh, uh, it gives on to the bo'sun's store. Paint, Matthews, paint! That door's two solid slabs of wood, sir. Don't make difficulties, Matthews. Take off your jersey. My jersey, sir? And don't ask damn fool questions. Now, unravel it. Then, slash open that cot's mattress, And scoop out the ticking. And here's a use at last for Monsieur Lebrun's treatise on seamanship. The grease from the lamp. Spread it abroad. We'll be grilled like herrings, Mr. Ormblough. We've got to risk that. Get up on deck again. We were ordered below. Get on deck. Argue. Do what you like or what you can, but stay there. What about you, sir? Do as you're told. I'll join you in a minute or two. Jump to it, Matthews.
1: I was committed. I grabbed the lamp and smashed it onto the torn paper and scattered straw. The flame caught. Spread and flared. I followed Matthews. On deck, Noville was watching the helmsman with occasional glances aloft to see that every sail was doing its work. The men were at the guns, two hands heaving the log. How much longer would I have? As it turned out, it was long enough. Nothing was so feared in our wooden ships as fire. A rush of flame shot through a cabin skylight. Brought the peak about, and head to wind it kept the fire from the magazine. The other sails did not catch. For all that, the peak was helpless. She could neither fight nor run. Captain Pellew had seen the smoke and drawn his conclusions. The indefatigable tore down, the white wave foaming underneath her bowsprit, and hoisted out her boats a cable's length to windward. The trickler flag fluttered down. It remained for me to face Captain Sir Edward Pellew. And, as I went aboard indefatigable, I could have wished myself elsewhere.
2: Glad to see you aboard again, Mr Hornblower. Thank you, sir. That privateer, I know something of the self-styled Captain Noville and of his record. A private menace and a public danger, Mr Hornblower.
4: Yes, sir. You agree with me? I was his prisoner, sir. How did he treat you? I've no complaints for myself. Your men? He might have treated them better. Quite so.
2: I should have expected as much. Well, with a little hard work, the peak can be repaired, sent to England and then to sea again. What is more important, she's no longer available in French hands to prey on English commerce.
4: As yes, for yourself, Mr Hornblower... I cannot excuse myself, sir. The Mary Gallant had been holed below the waterline when I boarded her. I should have realized... Mr Hornblower, pray do not make a great fuss about very little. I beg your pardon,
2: sir? The Murray Gallant was damaged by gunfire before she surrendered. No one can establish now whether that damage was small or great. I sent you aboard with a prize crew of four. They were all I could spare. You did what you could to save her. You failed. The responsibility was mine, sir. It was also mine. Furthermore, Mr Hornblower, it was more important that France should be deprived of that cargo of rice than England should benefit by it.
4: You are indulgent to me,
2: sir. (laughs) Am I indeed? (laughs) That is a matter for my lords of the Admiralty. (laughs) Sir. In reporting the matter, I shall, of course, bring to their lordship's attention the circumstances of the taking of the peak. In that case, also her capture is of considerable benefit to our country. If you say so, sir. I do say so. <clears throat> Fortunate she caught fire like that. She was running away from us and would have been out of sight in an hour. Providence, Mr Hornblower. Or have you any idea how it happened? Well, speak up.
4: Um, I think it must have been a case of spontaneous combustion in the paint locker. I can't account for it otherwise. Really, Mr Hornblower? How very fortunate. Tell me, are
2: you sure that you did not, let us say, nudge fortunes elbow? I should be glad to include in my report to my lords anything which might serve to favour your future career.
1: It was the time and my opportunity to answer truthfully and with proper modesty. I might reasonably have expected a modicum of praise, a mention in the gazettes, even perhaps my appointment as acting lieutenant. I could not do it. Sir Edward Pellew did not know the full details of the loss of the Marie Gallant and her cargo of rice. I alone knew how and when I had failed. I alone could decide, and had decided, on the punishment my failure deserved. More than anything else... I had to re-establish myself in my own eyes.
4: I can't account for it, sir.
1: I can't account for it. I repeated to Sir Edward. And when I had spoken the words, I was conscious of a sudden and enormous relief. Of not a single twinge of regret.
0: In part two of The Hornblower Story, you heard Nigel Anthony as Lord Hornblower, the narrator, with Nicholas Fry in the role of Horatio as a youth. Captain Sir Edward Pellew was played by Ronald Herdman, able seaman Matthews, David Miller, Captain LeBlanc, Ron Davies, Captain Nerville, Peter Bell, and a lieutenant, Joe Cook. Location recordings were made by Christopher Hayton Webb and David Fleming Williams aboard the catch IP Torso. The Hornblower story is directed by Trevor Hill.